You are listening to Riverbend Church Podcast. To learn more about us and to connect, go to our website at riverbendchurch.life. We are going to jump straight in this morning to week two of this series, and so I'm not going to have a lot of time for review. And so um, I would encourage you to go back and listen to our podcast catch last week. There's some foundational things that I don't want you to miss. And so if you haven't heard it uh, this week at some point, go back and listen so you can kind of get caught up. There's some, some overarching principles that we're laying over this series. I will come back to them, but for time's sake, not today. And so we are going to cover a lot of ground today. This is one of those series where we're just bringing ourselves to the Word of God, We're letting it say to us what it does as we read through it. And so we're going to cover a huge chunk of the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're walking through chapter 2, 3, and the first part of chapter 4. And so before we move ahead, though, I want to go back and remind us what the key verse or central themes uh, theme of this series is, where we get this idea of living for the return. And it's from this church at Thessalonica. Here's what uh, Paul writes to them. He says, now the word of the Lord is ringing out to you. So this testimony is ringing out to people everywhere beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith. And you may remember we talked about this, but other people love to tell the story of when God's at work. The reputation uh, is the best marketing tool for the church. When people's lives are being changed and people are being impacted, you want to be a part of that. There's a natural draw to go, well, maybe it'll work for me. Maybe I can be a part. So this is going on in the church. He said, we don't need to tell them about it, for they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living God. And so that's a picture of testimony, turning away from idols, old things, dead things turning to new life in Christ. And here's what he says. This is the key. They speak of how you're looking forward to the coming of God's son from heaven, whom God has raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. And so Paul here is reminding the church of their testimony. Your story precedes you. Your reputation, you may not be hearing this, but other people are talking about what God is doing in the church there. And he said, you have a reputation throughout the world that you are living for the return of Jesus. You're looking forward to it. And what that literally means is you are continuing to be present in the middle of a crazy culture. You're living for the return. And so Paul here is reminding them of that testimony because as we're going to see, living for the return brings a lot of things into our life. You know, one thing it brings it brings joy. Jesus, I met you and I'm getting to know you and I know that one day I'm gonna see you. My eyes have not seen you yet. I felt your presence. I've seen you in other people. I have your word. I've experienced the move of God in worship where we just sent you, but I hadn't seen you yet. Living for the return means I'm gonna see you one day though. The day's gonna come where I will see him face to face. And so He says that living for the return will bring joy. That's one of the things, but it also will bring suffering. That's one of the central themes of this book and a lot of scriptural books is living for the return of Christ actually invites difficulty into your life. Hard things. And so it's hard to think about that. God, I thought you were good. But here's the thing. That doesn't mean that fruitful labor won't have pain involved with it. Growth always has pain. But they were continuing to be present and have great faith and love and enduring hope even in the midst of it. Now, before we get into the piece today, I want to tell you what's coming next week. Next week, we're going to get to the rest of chapter 4. And this is where the Bible tells us about what we call the coming back of Jesus or this word rapture. Where all at once, the church, when Jesus decides, there are going to be a lot of people that all of a sudden disappear, according to the Bible, from the earth. We're going to unpack that next week, and so I hope you'll come back. It's a, it's a great conversation to have. There's a little bit of clue as to when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen. Could we be in the end times? That, that, that kind of wrapped up in that text. And so I'm excited to share that. I'm going to try not to preach that message today, all right, because I'm kind of excited about it. But I want to preach what we get to, what kind of brings us in Thessalonians to that point first. And so today I'm going to come to the Scripture with this mindset. Just like we look back to the fact that Jesus came before. If you've already placed your faith in Christ as Lord, then that means that you believe that he came one time. The mindset we have to adapt is just like he came before, just as much then as a reality that he will return. 
And so we can't just look back to the cross and back to the life of Jesus and back to the resurrection of Jesus, although that is where our hope springs, but our hope also is set on the future. Just like God took care of our past, he has also secured our future. So we live in the meantime, but we look forward. And here's, here's what I want to do. Ask the Holy Spirit to help us live in this way. And I want to call the message today, Living with Daily Awareness. Daily Awareness. Now, there's a rubber band in your seat. You probably already popped somebody with it. I got threatened by some people back in that area earlier that they were going to try to shoot me during the message, and I, I was rethinking it like a rubber band. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to stick that on your wrist for a moment. And as you do that, we do a lot of things in our life to raise daily awareness, don't we? Rubber bracelets that you see out there or, you know, little braided bracelets that have WWJD on there. How many of you have one of those? Somebody does somewhere, right? What would Jesus do? Here's all that's doing, or what would Joe do? That's not what it stands for. But when you, when you look at it, you look at it, you know what it does? The reason we wear stuff like this, it raises daily awareness because we get into life, don't we? And we forget about things. And so you got that. I saw... Um, there, there's others that, uh, that, that have different things, like our guys. We have a men's group that meets early on Tuesday morning. Uh, one of their guys bought us some bracelets to say H4. And it reminds us that we are men in pursuit of God, in pursuit of holiness. And so when you look down at it, it's that reminder. That's what it is. And so uh, I have one at home, and it's broken now. It actually kind of dry rotted, and it broke. But I kept it because there was a student of mine when I was a youth pastor years ago, and he got an aggressive cancer that he shouldn't have survived from. And we made these bracelets, and it, it said Lancer versus Cancer. His name was Lance. So we prayed for him, and God miraculously healed this guy. Just graduated from college, and I mean, it's like miraculous healing in his life through this cancer. But that was my daily awareness. I need to pray for Lance. I need to pray for his family. I need to pray against this. And, and we did. And so it's crazy how we need daily reminders, though. We do it in every way. And so do you know what the, the reason I gave you this? It's because even right now, if you pull it back and give it a pop, not for your neighbor, for yourself, if you pull it back and give it a pop, there's a pain that comes, a little bit. And you go, that's a daily awareness. That elevates my daily awareness that what? Jesus is coming back. That's what I hope today that it will, that pop will remind us, daily reminder that that little bit of pain you feel when you let it go, that Jesus, you're coming back. And so therefore, there are some things I need to be aware of. And so here's what I wanna point out, four areas of daily awareness that I wanna walk through this morning as we walk through this text and unpack a lot together. So 1 Thessalonians, Paul just bragged on the church. Last week, we talked about it. He bragged on their testimony and their reputation and now he begins to address something that he has heard, and we don't know exactly what was said or how he got this information, but basically someone either wrote a letter to Paul from Thessalonica, he's now in Athens, they either wrote a letter to him or a messenger came and said, Paul, I need to tell you about some things that are being said in the church, we need your help. Like you were the pastor that founded it and we need you to speak back into this. And so this is where we pick up in chapter two. He said, you yourselves, talking to the church, he said, you yourselves, brothers and sisters, know that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly we've been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Now, the story, backstory on Philippi is they went to Philippi. They were beaten and put in jail. And I told you the story a little bit last week, but at midnight, they were worshiping. God sent an earthquake. The jail doors flung open. And instead of running, they started witnessing to the jailer. They led him and his entire family to Jesus. And I would assume that either early in the morning or in the night, they went down to the river and had a baptism service. It says they baptized him. The, the jailer cared for their wounds. And then they left Philippi with bleeding backs to go on to Thessalonica. So he goes, you guys know we're not fakes and phonies. We're not doing this just for fame or fortune. We're doing this because God has put it in our hearts. We care about you. We're willing to chance being beaten again, which by the way, Thessalonica, the Jews there were nasty and they actually would chase Paul and his companions out of town again. But before we came to you, you know how much we suffered, yet God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of the great opposition. So you can see, we're not preaching with any impure motives or trickery. So obviously someone had sent messages, hey Paul, they said you're just doing it for the money. You're just doing it for the fame and the fortune. He goes, are you kidding me? I'm doing this at the stake of my life. I literally am on the most wanted of the Jews list and if they catch me, they're gonna try to kill me and they already have. He goes, I'm not doing this in trickery. I don't have faults or impure motives. He says, we speak as messengers approved by God 
to be entrusted with the good news. And then look at this verse. Our purpose is to please God, not people. Not saying we shouldn't be nice to people or care what people think, especially people we love and love us, but here's what he's going. My main prerogative here, I want to hear God say, well done. If people struggle with me because in the meantime I'm going, God, I want to live for you, he goes, our purpose is to please God. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we never sought it from you or anyone else. So as I read through this, it became clear that there's actually a level of awareness that needs to be raised, and this is what it is. If you want to live for the return, you have to live with this daily awareness. Pop, remember this, your faith leaders will be attacked. Paul comes into town, he preaches Jesus, people come to Christ, people's lives start changing. Then others come in and start spreading rumors and lies and doubt comes in. The enemy gets this kind of foothold there. More than likely, it was the Jews who claimed to be God followers. You know what, by the way? Sometimes it's church people that are hardest ones to deal with, isn't it? Hopefully, it's not you, not you. I'm talking about the person on the road behind you. But I'm just saying, sometimes sometimes church people are the ones. Listen, it's not people who don't claim to know Christ. It's those that do and don't live like it, right? What we call hypocrite. And you go, well, we're all hypocrites. True, but we should be less hypocrite tomorrow than we were today. That's what Jesus calls us to But here's what you need to know. There will be times where your faith leaders are attacked, and I I want you to understand this. Paul was physically attacked, yes. But even more than that, his testimony and his integrity was attacked. His authenticity was attacked. And when I say faith leader, you probably think, well, that's you, pastor. And here's what I will tell you. When I signed up for this job, I I was blessed to have men and women around me in my life who were prayer warriors and who were spiritually in tune. I did not go into it blindly, not understanding that there was a level of spiritual war that you were going to experience as you step into leadership. But here's what I want to tell you. It's no greater for me than it is for you. You're a spiritual leader if you lead your home. You're a spiritual leader if you pour into someone else. If you've chosen to take a leadership place in this community as a believer, that means that you are a spiritual leader as well. And here's what I'm telling you. Your integrity will be attacked at times. Your testimony will be questioned and attacked at times. You can't get upset with God. I'm telling you now, raise awareness. I'm going to be attacked if I'm a leader. And flip side, also understand that those who have poured into your lives, that their life and their testimony, their story will be attacked at times. And here's what Paul was saying. Everything that they're saying about me is a lie. Now here's what we know. Sometimes when people say stuff is true, what do we do with that? I mean, I wish everything that everyone had ever said behind my back was a lie. But you know what I find? If I'm really honest and put my pride aside, I go, there's at least a little bit of truth in what some of the things that get said, right? When you hear about it, Lord, help our testimonies be so pure that when people talk about us, we don't even have to vindicate ourselves because how we live vindicates us. But you need to know this, daily awareness. Do you know what? How many people are stalled in their faith because they saw the person that poured into them either fail or be attacked? There's probably people watching online and you're not in church anymore because your faith leader messed up or was attacked. It happens. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying that we don't have a higher calling that we should, but here's the truth. Your faith should not be totally and solely dependent on another human being. Primarily focused to God. Do we need each other? Yes. But here's the thing. Your faith leaders will be attacked, and if you are a faith leader, you will be attacked. So I'm gonna have to leave this here for time's sake, but you may need to wrestle through some of that as a believer. You meant to wrestle through some old wounds. Because here's the thing, daily awareness, do you know what it'll do? It'll, it'll cause you to understand, you know what, I need to pray for those that pour into my life. I need to pray for them. If you have a small group leader that's doing a great job, that loves you and pouring into you, and they're, they're bringing something to the table for you every week, pray for them. At least once a week or maybe twice a week, put it on your calendar, put it somewhere you go, I need to pray for my small group leader. If there's somebody that's a part of your testimony. Like in other words, you wouldn't be where you are today in Christ without them. And by the way, that's all of us. You wouldn't be where you are. Maybe that's a prompting for you not only to pray, but to reach out and encourage them. Because see, when the enemy comes and attacks a person's testimony, sometimes it's other people that come along and say, hey, 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 I just want to remind you what God has done in my life through you. And that encouragement actually helps you get over the hump sometimes. 
Daily awareness will cause you to pray and reach out, call them, write them, say thank you, encourage them. And so here's what I hope right now. There's a person in your mind, and this is the, I believe it's the Holy Spirit put this on my heart this week to say, don't get through this week without reaching out and letting them know, hey, you matter to me, you've made a difference in my life. Because what you'll find, just because they're older in Christ than you, that doesn't mean that they don't need encouragement in your prayers as well. Paul continues here in chapter two, verse nine. He says, don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how we worked among you? Night and day we told to earn a living so that we would not be a burden uh, of any kind to you as we preach God's good news to you. You yourselves are our witnesses and so is God that we were devout and honest and faultless uh, toward all of you. And so Paul in verse nine here does a couple of things. One, it shows us that Paul and his team were in Thessalonica for a long time. It says, for day and night, we worked. They had to get jobs while they were there. The second piece is this. Even though they had the right to ask the church to pay them, Paul later would go on to say, you know, it's actually a good thing to take care of those that invest in you, those that have that gospel call. And, and that's something I had to wrestle through before I could, you know, start working at a church. It was my pride, but I was like, God, I had always been bivocational. I served, I worked. And then when God started calling me full-time, one of the wrestlings of my heart was, I don't, I don't know how to do this, Lord. Like, I already want to serve you, and I'm doing just fine right here. And God was calling me. And what it is, you got to lay down your pride in order to let the church support you, to, let, to, to take from what people give to God and support you. This is just personal testimony, by the way. When you do that, it's a pride thing. Like, I had to lay down my pride and go, right, it took a long time for God to beat that out of me. And the reason is that I was like Paul. I would have prided myself on saying, I'll take care of me and I'll serve the Lord. And God said, no, 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 I I want you to deal with that pride and just trust me to take care of you. But here's what Paul said. In this situation, he decided it was gonna be best for the church if they worked and fundraised so that they could do ministry. Do you know the beauty of that? Almost there's a few of our staff members here that are full-time at the church. We have volunteer staff members that work other jobs and pour themselves out here as well. Just as big a part of our staff. We have, you know, part-time staff members that are almost full-time here and they work somewhere else. But we have small group leaders. And you may not see yourself as this, but you're an extension of our pastoral staff. You are pastoring people under the care of the leadership, under the care of our elders that are here. And so you work, most of you work full-time jobs, more than full-time jobs, and you're pouring into other people's life. In a lot of ways, you find yourself just like Paul. I'm working hard and I'm fundraising so I can also do what God's called me to do. That's just a cool way to look at it. But in this instance, Thessalonica, Paul thought it's gonna be best for the church if I do it this way. We don't know why he chose that or felt led to that because other times he didn't. Look at verse 17. Look how much Paul cares for these people. You can hear his his compassion for these people. Brothers and sisters, after we were separated you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, we tried very hard to come back to you because of our intense longing to see you again. We wanted very much to come to you, and I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. After all, what gives us hope and joy? And what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? It is you Yes, church, it is you. You are our pride and joy. And so I've said this uh, several times, but there's a thing that I, I couldn't help but mention again running through here. Throughout scripture, you'll find it. People investment is the currency of eternity. What do you mean by that? One day when you stand before the Lord, did you know the only thing that will enter with you into eternity will be the people that you invested in? Anybody who came to Christ because you love them that way, that is everything else will be left behind. But the people you invested Jesus into and the works you did for the Lord that invested, that will actually move into eternity with you. Paul says here, look, when we stand before the Lord Jesus, and he obviously thought Jesus was gonna return. They were looking forward to the return, living for it. He said, when Jesus returns, you're gonna be by pride and joy I'm going to get to look at God and say, God, I may have made a lot of mistakes, and Paul did. He was actually a murderer before he became a pastor. But Paul would be able to look at Jesus and say, you know what, Jesus, my my first half of my story, it wasn't that great. 
Like first half of my story, I didn't live for you. But when I came to know you and my life changed, God, let me, let me tell you some friends at Thessalonica where I went and my back had been beaten. And I'm not, all glory to you, Lord. I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to blow my own horn here. I'm just saying, God, here's the people. My pride and joy, there are people that know you and are more like you because of my life. I couldn't help but think. Convicting thought this week. Sometimes I start preaching to you and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will turn it on me and I'm like, I don't like that. You know what God said to me? Who's gonna be standing with you before the Lord because of your influence? If everything else is gonna go away, like if one day the bank accounts are only a means to an end, the houses, everything we have, the businesses you build, all the work you do, it's only a means to an end. It's a means to use your life and to influence people for the sake of Christ. And it's so easy to lose sight of that as a believer. Like you can't separate the two. There's not, a, there's not a secular and a sacred. It's both and. It's both. Whatever God has given you, it will all be left behind except for unless you did what you did with it influence people towards the Lord. And I couldn't help but think, who's gonna be standing in my circle because of what I did with my influence? And as parents, you know what you hope to be able to say? My kids are in that circle. But I do believe there are a lot of Christian moms and dads who put their kids on default mode. Just meaning, you know, I, I show up at church, but it's not a big deal. I, I sign and serve the Lord, but I let them do their thing. Unless you're willing to make Jesus the center of your home, you cannot, I don't think in any way you can expect your kids to be in that circle. When we stand before the Lord, will you be able to look at God and say, look, my kids, I poured everything I had into them, Lord, here they are. That doesn't mean you can make choices for them. That doesn't mean they can't go their own way. I'm not arguing that. But I'm saying even Proverbs teaches us that if we'll train them in the way they should go, when they're old, there's a great chance that they won't depart from it, especially with a praying mom or dad or grandparent. So I can't help but think, God, God will my kids be, will my friends, the people that I say I love the most, because this is where it's hard. It's much easier to go share with somebody I'll never see again. But those people you're gonna see every day and they may reject you and they may talk bad at you and they may shun you because you, know, you try to live for Jesus, you try to love them so well, will they be standing there one day? Paul says this too, we tried to come to you but Satan wouldn't let us get there. It's crazy because, interesting statement, he ultimately had to trust that because if evil was preventing them from returning to Thessalonica, then it must have been God's plan for them not to go. Look at verse one here. He says, finally, when we could stand it no longer, we decided to stay alone in Athens. We sent Timothy to you. We wanted to come, but we couldn't come for whatever reason. We don't know the details, but we're gonna send Timothy back. He's our brother and God's coworker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you and encourage you in your uh, faith and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles. And this is an important statement. Paul in his mind had gotten worried. I poured my life out. I preached to you. I poured into you, and now that I'm away, I'm wondering, did you stay the path? One of the hardest things as a parent to do, some of you can preach this message better than me, but like when your kids get to a place where you have to let go and let them be them, what direction you wanna go in? That's not my control anymore. That's between you and God and go for it. And that's a hard place to be. For parents that are there, you're like, yep, parenting your adult kids may be just as difficult on a different level as parenting your little ones. And some of you that have little ones, you're like, shoot, man, I thought it was gonna get better. But here's the thing. We hope that our kids and those that we poured into are not shaken by the troubles, but what we do know, troubles are coming, right? He said, we hope you're not shaken. Paul's word, he says, you know that we are destined for such troubles. So he reminds them, hey, don't be shaken by them, expect them. Even while we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come, and they did, as you well know. That is why when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid the tempter, and I like this word, the tempter, because that reminds us that as Satan, that's the devil, and Paul here says he is the tempter. I was worried that he had gotten the best of you and that all our work that we did, the time we spent with you was useless. Now Timothy has returned bringing the good news about your faith and love. He reports that you always remember our visit with joy and that you wanna see us as much as we wanna see you. Can I give you another area of life that we have to live with daily awareness in? And it's this. You will face troubles from the tempter and it's usually in the form of haters. 
Not always. There's many other things. Circumstances could be what the enemy uses. But even circumstances often have a person attached to it. So let's talk about the tempter here. That's what Paul called Satan. If you go back to the Really, the first time we meet Satan in Scripture, it's in the book of Genesis in your Bible. And you know what he does? He tempts Eve to sin against God. And she falls for it, and Adam steps into it. Satan calls people throughout Scripture, when you see their stories, tempted them right before them, tempt them. Does God really love you? Is God holding something back from you? Are you wasting your time serving the Lord? And so as temptation came, he always used it. And now, here we are, even after the, the Holy Spirit has been poured out, Paul says he was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of the people there and that all the Jesus he poured in was useless. Now, I think Paul was probably taking too much responsibility. He forgot that it was the Holy Spirit's work, maybe. He may have struggled with that just like every pastor does. I want to be the Holy Spirit in somebody's life. How about you? You ever just wanted to be the Holy Spirit? God doesn't let you do it, though. It's frustrating, we have to trust God to be the Holy Spirit, even though we want to. You got teenage kids in the room, you're like, amen to that, brother. Like, I, I want to be the Holy Spirit with force. But you'll face troubles from the, from the tempter, and you can't be the Holy Spirit in somebody else's life, but you got to let the Holy Spirit take over in your life because they're just going to feel like people are against you, haters. And so Paul's concerned that troubles from other people and from the enemy had shut down the work of God. I want to show you a verse that I've quoted to myself many times in his second Timothy. Paul, this is way later in Paul's life. He says, Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Do you know what the Greek means there? That you will suffer persecution. Like it's coming. Some form or fashion, if you live for Christ, you're actually going to face persecution. And so maybe this is awareness that, you know what, God, I have an enemy. And sometimes it comes through the form of people. They're not technically the source of the enemy, but the enemy will use people and he'll do anything he can to prevent you. Question, how many people have been taken off mission by temptation? Fall back into old ways. Make a choice that train wrecks your family. You know why? You simply lost awareness. You know what my awareness is a lot of days? Battle plan. You would think that being a pastor, eventually you could let your guard down a little bit. Because I mean, after all, people are praying for you and you're gonna be studying the Bible and standing up to can I just be, can it be a little bit easier? Here's the deal. As soon as I let my guard down and, and, and let my awareness go down that I have an enemy and I have things that are gonna come against me, I either get discouraged or I fall straight into a trap and everybody suffers. Have we allowed people either haters that drive us away from the church or wrong friends, friends that influence us away. And when I say church, not just a gathering of Sunday, I mean your purpose in the church. Have we allowed those things to drive us away? Paul was just wondering, you know, I wonder if the tempter, because he can do it, I wonder if he's gotten the best of people. But then he's excited because he says, Timothy comes back and says, no, 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 you're still on fire for the Lord. You're still living it out on a daily basis. So Timothy sends this strong church report back. The church here, Paul, is thriving. I can hear his excitement. Like, you thought it wasn't doing it. It's thriving here. Even under persecution and hard times, even though their culture is not accepting of Christianity and following Jesus, they're thriving. Now, look at verse 11. He says this. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ bring us to you very soon, and may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow just as our love for you overflows. May he as a result make your heart strong and blameless and holy. And then let's look at sentence. As you stand before God. Now, we all understand that when Jesus comes, there's gonna be a point in there where we will have to stand before God. But I'm about to show you something God showed me as I read this this week. We're gonna stand before God our Father when the Lord Jesus comes. That time where he calls us to be with him. But look at this last one. With all his holy people. So let me put all this together. Let me put it in the form of a powerful, tangible reminder on your faith journey. Here it is. You will stand before God in front of the entire kingdom church. I think sometimes when you think about giving an account as a believer before the Lord, you can so easily think, well, God, it'll just be me and you, you know, home slice, give it up right there, Lord, me and you, and you're gonna talk to me about. You understand that when he calls us, it's a we, and so he's going to say, you know what, 
Joe Payton, step out, you know, however he's going to do it. And all of our brothers and sisters from history, because at this point, everybody will be raised up. Usually in school, when that happened, it wasn't good. So, but in, in, God's, in God's case, maybe there'll be a few good things. But he calls me to stand up and I look around. There's going to be Moses standing there. And I'm like, shoot. All these Old Testament people, there's Samuel, there's King David, God, like, what do I have? And then you look around and pastors and people that poured into me, they're there. And you look and there's your kids standing over there. You're like, God. Anyone who has surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, when God holds you to account, they're going to be there. How's this all going to work? I don't have the details of that, but what I do know is he's going to come with his holy people and we're going to stand before him in the context of community. We've gotten so used to this idea of my faith is about me and Jesus, just your grace, Lord. It's just me and you, God. All I need is is you and just me and you. That's it. That's not biblical. Do you know that? Biblical is you need the church. You need the community gathering of believers to grow together. I want to show you this moment. Now, this judgment, by the way, is not to go to heaven or hell. That will already have been decided by this point. And we'll talk a little bit more about it next week. But the judgment that we're talking about here, going to heaven, going to hell, being separated from God forever, that happens as a choice we make here. To say, Christ, I surrender my life to you in in this life. So this next one is what we call the Bema seat of Christ. It's where God calls all believers before him to talk about what you did with the life. Now look what uh, Paul would write a little bit later to the church at Corinth. He says, we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. So it's not a getting into heaven or getting out of heaven. It's standing before the kingdom church and God going, all right, let's call your life to account here. Let's call your life to account here. We need to be aware that all those in Christ will be there with us. And you know what this can do? This awareness that one day I'm gonna give account to the Lord before my daughter. Think about that. One day I'm gonna give account to the Lord before my family. Anybody who's called on the name of Jesus, they're gonna be there with me. And God's gonna call to account. He's gonna reward us. You know what's gonna happen? We're gonna see how bright Jesus really shines because you know, sometimes people can look up to us and think we're the best thing since sliced bread. And the truth is, we know that without Christ, we're nothing. So what's gonna happen is people are gonna see sometimes how little we did, what we should have did. And we're gonna give Jesus glory. And then anything we did though, where God goes, you did great, well done on this air, well done with what you did with this season of your life and with these years. All we're gonna do is turn around and go, God, it's all about you, Lord. It's only you, Jesus. But this awareness can fuel us to live with a desire for Christ, to love completely, to have fewer regrets. Paul said this, I want you to stand holy before the Lord and all his people when Jesus returns. Now, look at this last piece, chapter four. He says, finally, dear brothers and sisters, and he, he was, must have been a great preacher because when he said finally, he still had like 45 more minutes. You know what I mean? Like in closing, you know when the pastor says that? In closing today, and you're like, shoot, that's like the 30-minute mark. That's all that is. I think he was good at it because Paul would go finally, and then you know he'd wear his hand out some more. <laughs> I'm like going, finally, brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God. There's a big old fancy word here, sanctification. Live in a way that pleases God. Don't live like you used to if you know Christ. Sanctification is every day becoming more like Jesus. He said, as we have taught you, you live this way already. We encourage you to do so even more. You remember we taught you, uh, what you taught, we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. God's will is for you to be holy. Here's the daily awareness that we have to live with, church. The last one, you are called to be holy. One of the things that I thought back to my childhood, because I was blessed. I did get to grow up in a solid church. I get to grow up around people that poured Jesus into me. I'm always amazed at what God does for, for there's stories all over the room where people didn't come to Christ until way later in life. And when they came to Christ, God started doing just as much through them as he did through those that grew up in church. There's like no favoritism. God just pours his spirit out and he uses people right where they are. But I thought back to my childhood. You know one of the things I think we have lost in our culture? A reverential fear and respect of the Lord. I mean, when I was a kid, 
We got the thunderous respect for the Lord. Now, here's what I'd say. We probably erred at my church on the side of being scared to death of God all the time. Like if you sin, God gonna squish you like a bug. Like that's what I felt like sometimes. Could he do that? Yeah, but because of the cross, there was grace. But then there's also this, this truth, this call to live in truth. And so we've lost this reverential fear of God. We've made him so much our friend that we forget that how we live matters. Yes, he calls us friend, but you do realize that one day this king we're gonna stand before, he actually is the king of all creation. We read this last week, but if you look at how he defeats hell, how he defeats Satan, how he defeats every demon that rises, at one moment he speaks a word, literally the breath of his mouth defeats him. That is the one that we're gonna be standing before. So maybe our awareness is to go back to this idea of God, I need to be holy again. There was ever a point in your life where you felt called to be holy and you've kind of gotten dulled? Here's my prayer right now that the Holy Spirit will awaken your spirit. What is holy? What is holy? Here it is, really, really simple. Holy means set apart. When people look at your life, set apart. That's the simplest way. I tried to come up with a cooler definition. That's it. Now, Paul is going to close out the section we're going to look at right now. He closes it out by giving us a few areas that we have to fight for holiness in. And here's the first one, chapter, verse 3. He says, God's will is for you to be holy. And so look where he goes first. He goes here, stay away from sexual sin. I'm like, he didn't pull any punches. Like, he didn't warm up on that one or anything. He just goes, get out of there, stay away. So living for the return of Jesus, do you know what it means? It means this, set apart in sexual purity. Set apart in sexual purity. See, I think that he knew the church of 2021 was gonna need to hear this. In a day where we like to define sex by our standards and our feelings, in a day where we like to define it by you know, what we feel and our emotions and, and not wanting to offend, and what happens is we step away from the truth so easily in this area, although God is clear. There is a such thing as pure sexuality, which is a good and blessed thing, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Then there's a such thing as an impure sexuality, one that dishonors the Lord and doesn't align with his plan for our lives. And what happens is we have taken it into our hands and go, you know, does purity really matter? Here's awareness, something we have to raise. God, help me live holy when it comes to sexual purity. See, here's what I've learned. We've come to a place where our senses get dulled so easily because we're desensitized. One of the craziest things that happened to me uh, that, that I, I didn't see coming, we moved into a house one time on a little pond and you know, we built a house. It was way back off the road and the thing we didn't take into account is we couldn't get anything but power and water to the house. There was no phone line that would go that far. There was no anything that would run down this driveway to this house, so we didn't have internet. That's 2007, not like 1907. And so 2007, and we lived in a house, and for three years we did not have a TV. And you go, It was unintentional. Like I wish I could say, <clears throat> my family didn't have a TV. We weren't one of those cats. I wish I could say that I was way more holy. We didn't have any internet. We didn't have any outside communication. Can I tell you, when we moved and we got a TV again, I had been resensitized and didn't realize it. You start watching stuff, you're like, oh, he said what? And used to, you ever done that before? Like, or you ever go back and watch something with your kids later and you go, oh my gosh, I didn't, I forgot how bad this was. We're like watching some movie the other day that I thought was so funny and we're watching it and I'm going, yeah, this is pretty bad. Like I wouldn't want my little, I don't want my grandkids watching this one. Here's what Paul goes on to say, though. He goes, if you'll live in holiness with sexual purity, if you'll stay away from it, he said, each of you will control his own body. And that's really what it is. We're either under the Holy Spirit's control or we're out of control when it comes to sexual purity. I don't have to go into the details of what happens with these crazy cell phones and everything that's out there, but here's what Paul says. He goes, we'll know how to control and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. And then he goes on specifically. I think Paul may have been dressing something he had heard here. He said, never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges such sins. What does it mean to violate his wife? Well, Jesus told us that not only is adultery the act of sin, but 
the mindset, if we sin in our mind by lusting after someone else, that's on us. If we sin and he goes, God has called you to live holy lives. The Lord avenges these sin. And here's what he says, verse seven, God called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Listen, if you want to experience the power of the anointing of the Lord, I think we have to take this to heart and just go, God, make me aware this week. Resensitize me. Lord, I want to live holy. I'm not going to try to force that on other people or expect that of my culture. But I am going to say, Lord, you have called me to a higher standard as a man of God. As a woman of God, you have called me higher, Lord. And therefore, you've given me the spirit that raised my soul from death to life. And therefore, I will live it this week. Look at verse 9. We don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for the believers, uh, all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them more. So living for the return means living in this way, holy, set apart in unconditional love. This love of choice where we go, God, I don't feel it. See, here's how we can project hope. We talk about projecting hope to, to our community we can live according to God's truth while at the same time loving people in our path. Is it difficult? Sure. But is it possible? Yeah, it's actually our calling to love people who are unlike us. One of the challenges I gave you back this summer, if some of you were here, we are Hope Vision Series, get to know someone not like you. Let me translate. Choose to love someone not like you. Just choose it. I don't feel it. You don't know how I've grown up. I don't care. Either you're in Christ or you're not. And if you're in Christ, this is a mandate. Love people in your path. Love neighbors in your path. Love those who are not like you in your path. Listen, if we will get hold of this, I believe it's one of the things holding back from revival in our lives. God, help me this week to get out of my own head and to lay down my pride and love people who are not like me. Because it's easy to love people like us, but one of the markers and indicators of somebody who's on fire for the Lord is the love that flows out of them. Now look at this last piece, because this one's sort of unsuspecting. Paul sticks it in here. He says, church, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working hard with these hands. So don't be the pot stirrer, just as we instructed you. Then people who are believers will respect the, who are not believers will respect the way you live and you'll not need to depend on others. So living for the return means this, being set apart when it comes to work ethic. <laughs> As I studied this, there was another writer that wrote about this church. So you won't find this in the Bible, but secular history tells us this. There were people in the church, they were so much looking forward to the return, they literally took lawn chairs up onto the roof of their houses, quit their jobs, and just sat there. Come, Jesus. We think that's absurd. I mean, I get it. That's sort of absurd. Paul goes back to this idea, though, of, listen, you need to keep working hard. Did you know that your work ethic is tied to your testimony? We live in a day where work ethic is at an all, education is at an all-time high in my lifetime anyway. Work ethic is at an all-time low. Anybody in this room, if you hire people right now, I can almost guarantee you one of the primary thing is soft skills and work ethic. Is this guy willing to work? Is this girl willing to work? Because if so, we can teach you just about anything else. But it doesn't matter what you know if you're not willing to put it to use, right? So if you have people that work for you or on your teams or you're responsible, and so let me flip the script. As a Christian, you need to understand that your work ethic is tied to who you are, your identity in Christ. And if you're not willing to do hard things, you gotta back up and go, God, have I become unholy in that area of my life? Did you know that we are called to be set apart when it comes to work ethic? Paul was reminding the church of this, listen, get back to work. Sometimes we can get so focused on the prophetic end of times that we stop doing what we need to. I'm gonna take you back to where we started. Do you remember what I said last week? Everything the Bible says about end times is meant to stir urgency in us right now. Everything. And so God calls us to do hard things. Just because it, it's hard in life doesn't mean God's not in it. 
Actually, I would argue if you want to grow in your faith, you want to walk through valleys uh, with, with anointing on your life, you want to experience mountaintops with the Lord, then you got to decide, I'm going to work hard. Lord, help me be aware that if I've gotten lazy on you in any area, that Lord, here I am. Till my last breath, whether I'm young or I'm old, till my last breath, God, I'm going to give you what I have. So I want to close today with some questions. First one is this. What area of awareness do you need to raise in your life this week? What is this about? What's that pop reminding you of? Is it the fact that you'll be attacked? The fact that the tempter is going to come after you? Is it the fact that you've been called to be holy and that slides by the wayside? So this is, Paul did a really nice job here, by the way. He wasn't ugly in this letter. He gets ugly. and so He was really nice. I'm just trying to tell you the word. Why? I want you to not settle for less than God's best in your life. Sometimes all you need to do is just have somebody who loves you look at you and say, it's time to come back to holiness. You've drifted. That's not a judgmental statement. This is a prayer of my own heart. God, if I have drifted, call me back, Lord. If I've been compromising in my life, I've been compromising in my marriage, I've been compromising what I've been using this for, I've been compromising in my integrity of my finances, I've been compromising when it comes to how I treat the people that I work with or the ones that work for me. Lord, if I've been compromising in any way, I'm asking you in Jesus' name today to pour out the Spirit and let us come back. Because it's something we have to be reminded of. We all want God's blessing in our life, but sometimes we, we tap on holiness. We tap on this awareness that we're going to be attacked, and as soon as suffering comes, we bail. And again, I'm not making light of people's trials, man. I've watched some of my friends walk through some stuff recently that just blows my mind the difficulty level, and yet they have joy. My friends and my neighbors and people I love and just walking through trials, trials everywhere right now. Do y'all feel like that? Right now when you look around, there's a lot of people hurting. A lot, of, a lot of our brothers and sisters going through things and I'm going, God, help. I want to pray more for them. I want to do something. And you feel like you can't do anything. So God, raise my awareness. What area do you need to let the Holy Spirit raise your awareness again? God, you're coming back. I want to live for the return. I don't want to have regrets when you come from this point forward. And so Lord, here I am. Here's the second question. Where do you find yourself fearing the return of Jesus? Now here's the thing. If you find yourself fearing something, when, when the thought of Jesus coming back creates fear in your heart, there's a great chance that that's an area you need to let God call you back to holiness or God deal, do a work in your heart again. Like, I don't wanna have to explain this in front of my kids to the Lord, so God, I wanna deal with it now. It will always cost you less to deal with any kind of holiness issue now than later. And then the last question is like, what can you do to change it? If you have breath in your body, you can change it. See, the awareness for some of us may be, Lord, I need you. You see, the Holy Spirit may be convicting your heart and saying, you know what, truly, you don't have Christ inside. You don't have the Spirit living on the inside. So holiness is gonna be impossible for you. Like you can't, you can't lean towards holiness. You can't do these things if you don't have Jesus literally on the inside. And so the awareness for you may be the Spirit stinging your heart and going, you know it's time to surrender. And so just go, it's what I want you to do, Jesus I surrender to you as my Lord today and tell him, thank you for saving me. So Jesus, I turn away from my sin and I turn to you. If you're saying that in your heart to God because that's the awareness you need, listen, he accepts you and so does his church. We love you. But for everyone else here, so if you're watching from home this morning or watching online, I wanna take a moment and just speak directly to you if I've kept you this far and you're still leaning in, then I just want to ask you, like, where are you in this? What's God pricking your heart and saying, you know what? You need to be called back to holiness. You need to be called back to this awareness that you don't need to give up when the tempter attacks you. You need to be called back to this awareness that there will be attack on your testimony and on those that lead in your lives Sometimes that's the reason we get away and yet God's calling you back. So where, where are you today in that? 
Paul said this, I want you to stand before the Lord and the church strong and blameless and holy. So here's, here's my hope and my heart for you today is that the Holy Spirit, right where you are, would call you higher. Because as your friend, and you know, even if I don't know you, as your friend, somebody that, that we pray for you, if you're watching this feed, we pray for you, that maybe God would call you to holiness, that one day when we stand before him, we'd be able to look over and say, hey, we spurred each other along in holiness. We spurred each other along to overcome the temptation. We were aware of the attacks together. We walked through the valleys together. And so if you feel alone out there in that, maybe the awareness today for you is that God wants to raise about eternity is, you're not alone and you need to start living like it now. Lean back into the church. Lean back into those that allow somebody to pour into your life that's a little further along than you are. Don't push back. Lean in. You need to know that you're loved. Listen, maybe awareness today is the sting of your heart. You feel it because you know, you know what? I really want to be ready for the return of Christ, but I'm not because I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. It can be this simple right where you are today. You can just say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I hand control over. Just say this. I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior. Here's my life, Jesus. And then tell him, thank you for saving me. And listen, at this point, the awareness can move in your heart from fear and unknown to God. I know that when you do come, you're gonna receive me, not because of how good I am, but because of this moment where I said, Jesus, I submit my life to you, I surrender. Will you shoot us a message? Will you let us know? We would love to celebrate with you. If there's a way that we can pray for you, maybe you feel like you're one of the ones and you've fallen away. You've fallen away from holiness. You've fallen away from gathering with God's people. You've been under attack and you feel alone. I just wanna ask you, will you let us know so we can pray? Shoot us a message. You can drop a comment. Somebody from our, our team will reach out. But we wanna celebrate with you and we want you to know you're not alone as we live for the return of Jesus Christ. May God give you the strength to be aware that attack will come, the valleys will be there, but that you're called to live holy and you can do that. May God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church Podcast. If you want more information, please visit our website, riverbendchurch.life.